Welcome to Manager Tools Development Challenge 2006. If you don't know what that is, stay tuned. Hello, this is Michael Lozan, and on behalf of myself and Mark Horseman, uh, welcome to Manager Tools. Today, if you're a little surprised about getting this, um, well, surprise. Uh, today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, this month, we're opening up our Registered Users podcast to all our listeners. Now, we're doing this for several reasons. First, to say thanks to all of you who are listening. We appreciate that you're taking time to think about your management lives and that you think that uh, we're adding value. Also, when we started this uh, members-only podcast... Uh, we realized, though, that there were some ideas in here that were just too good to limit. And you know that old saying about uh, information wanting to be free. So here's some free information. Uh, finally, we wanted to encourage non-registered users to become registered. Each month, our registered users get an extra podcast made only available to them. Previously, we addressed such topics as our favorite books, uh, periodicals, and you know sources of information, as well as some of Mark's uh, favorite tools like the meeting introduction tool. This month, though, we're initiating a recurring theme, asking our registered users to stretch themselves a bit. We're introducing six development ideas in this podcast, and we're going to revisit them throughout the year on our registered users cast. We'll delve into some of these topics more deeply during those shows, and we're seriously considering asking those of you who engage in these efforts to be part of the show and tell everyone else about your experience. Now, as you might notice, uh, I'm uh, feeling a little bit under the weather, and uh, I actually sound even worse during the show itself. So um, those of you who've been around know that uh, last time Mark was visiting, he uh, wasn't feeling too well and was down my basement with pneumonia. Well, he um, he left me a little a little gift, and uh, I'm on the way to recovery, but uh, while we were recording the show, uh, I'm afraid things uh, didn't sound that great. So I apologize for the uh, audio challenges uh, that my uh, raspy voice may uh, present during the show. So with that, uh, hope you enjoy this, and Join us for our first special podcast of the year, the Manager Tools Development Challenge 2006. Welcome, everybody, to the 2006 Management Development Challenge podcast. Um, we're really looking forward to a year's worth of, of casts, um, going into the details of management, as you know we always do, uh, helping you get better at what you do every day. Um, we continue to... Uh, uh, get excited about the the growth and listeners, and we think that's because we really focus on the details and the how-to. Um, for this special edition, um, listeners only, um, even though we're expanding it to, well, actually, registered users only, we thought we'd expand it, uh, and we also thought we'd issue a challenge. Um, we've got... Are you a big, are you a big uh, New Year's resolution type of guy? No, I'm not. No, I'm, yeah, I'm not either, so this is... A little bit different. But. Yeah, we, we don't we don't want it to be just uh, no. We don't want people to see it that way at all. We just thought it was the start of a year, and we thought we'd ask people to take another look at management. If you're a listener or a registered user, um, we know that you think about management an awful lot. And um, Mike and I have been batting around the idea of, of um, recommendations that um, you can turn into projects, if you will, if you're a getting things done kind of person. Um, and we've come up with six recommendations. Three of them are, are pretty tactical. They're, they're pretty straightforward and um, things you can do right now to make yourself more effective. And then three of them are a little bit bigger than that. Um, they can certainly be broken down into tasks that you can do right away. And we, of course, talk about that. Um, but they're a little out there and maybe not, not for everybody. Um, and uh, interestingly enough... Um, Mark is really excited about the second three, even though those were not the ones he came up with. Um, Mark came up with the three first ones, which were boring, tactical ideas. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the big thinker between the two of us, Mike, um, came up with the three edgier topics, and uh, we're kind of excited about the mix of the, the two different types of recommendations. Now, um, we'll talk specifically about what to do in each of the six, but we do not recommend that anybody try to do all six. That's one of the things we don't like about New Year's resolutions. People pile up on them, and gyms get full in the month of January. Um, but in February, nobody's still there. Um, we don't even think you should try two of these at the same time. If you just do one of the six that we're going to recommend, you're going to be a better manager at the end of the year than you are now. 
Um, uh, if you want to do two, pick one, do it, nail it, make it a part of your life, um, make it a habit, and then move on to the second one. Um, you know, as, as, uh, no matter which one you choose in whatever order, your team is going to benefit, your organization will be strengthened, um, and that those are never bad things, obviously. But trying to do too much and getting frustrated and ending up with nothing at all is definitely not the way to do it. Yeah, I think it's a real good point because I would, I would tend to do try to do all six of yeah. them. And yeah, we we all do that. Fill everyone. And and it's better just to pick one, and and uh, uh, it's definitely better to do one at a time. So, okay, so challenge number one. Let's get started. Let's get right into it. Um, our first challenge. It sounds very simple. It sounds very boring, but it is absolutely critical, and that is recommit yourself to doing one-on-ones. Um, perhaps for some of you. Um, this sounds like blasphemy. My gosh, what, why are they suggesting that one of my recommitments is something I'm already doing? Um, how, you know, I, I, I can't believe you're suggesting that some of our listeners may not be actually doing them after listening to us for six months or so. Trust me, Mike. <laughs> they're out there. Uh, we get emails that say things like, "Hey, I don't really like I don't really like the idea of one on ones. I'm not really into coaching, but I have someone who needs feedback. Can I do it this other way that you don't recommend?" Kind of like. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we actually feel strongly about uh, the recommendations we make. We don't we don't try to make thousands of them. We make a few, and we feel strongly about them. And um, I'm sure I've said it 50 times if I've said it once. We believe that the core of great management is communication, and we believe one-on-ones are the easiest way to connect with your direct reports in a way that will significantly improve your communication. Would you... Are you suggesting? I know you're not suggesting that there you can't be a great manager without doing one-on-ones. But I, my feelings, you probably your chances of being a great manager, unless you have extraordinary skills, are much reduced. Yeah, I, I, I just, um, yeah, you're exactly right. I think the chances of becoming a great manager or even a really good manager if you don't do one-on-ones are pretty slim. Uh, I'm routinely surprised at how much managers of all stripes overrate how well they communicate with their people um so um and 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 how many times have we heard it mike people say well oh i don't really need to do one-on-ones because i talk to my team all the time and as we've talked about before um then why when i go into organizations is it that all the teams tell me they really don't know what's going on and I think there's right. a difference between talking to your team all the time and creating a space where you can talk about them and you can talk about what they want to do um, and talk about something other than the particular project or um, the work that you're doing right at the time. So, right. hey, can, can you uh, hold on one second? Sure. The uh, princess, the the princess of the household, just yes, walk down. Of course. Hey, hey, girly. Um, you can't come down. Today. He's working down. All right, I'm back. Good, good. Always nice to hear Sydney's voice, though. <laughs> she loves you. <laughs> okay, and look, uh, we're not kidding ourselves. We know that there are plenty of people out there who hear the idea of one-on-ones, think they're a great idea, but for some reason didn't start. It was a bad time of year. Some people started but didn't really commit to it for whatever reason in terms of staying through it four, six, eight weeks after they started. And, and then the holidays came up, too, and, and sometimes... It's much harder to stick through things when people are saying, oh, I really need to do some shopping or whatever, or you let it slide a little bit and they let it slide, and suddenly three weeks went by and you haven't met with your folks. Um, well, regardless of why people are doing or not doing <clears throat> one-on-ones, some of you liked them, didn't start. Others started, didn't commit. The holidays are make it tougher. Um, regardless, uh, we want you to recommit. It is a great way to send a message that um, you care about your folks, that you want to increase communication. Whenever communication increases, team output improves noticeably at some point. Um, so how can you recommit? That's always the, the manager tools question is how, how do I do this? What do I do? Um, and we have an email that you can send um, and we're going to post it on the site. It'll be there. Um, and you can grab it from the web and modify it to your heart's content, but it'll sound something like this. Team members, I've decided to recommit to meeting with you weekly and one-on-ones. I thought I'd follow through last year. I stumbled a bit. 
I believe in one-on-ones and I want to make them work throughout this year. At some point, I want us to look back and wonder how we did things before we had them. I want them to become like clockwork. The more we communicate, the more effective we're going to be. We're not going to get better by doing everything the way we always have. I think of one-on-ones as a step forward in the way I manage and how we communicate. I need your help to stay on track with this. If you see me sliding during the year, you have my permission to point it out and ask me to stick to my commitment to you and to the team. If you feel I'm trying to decide between moving a meeting and canceling it, moving it till next week, for instance, stick up for yourself a little bit and say, hey, are we doing these things every week or not? I'll get the message. Please let me know within these windows what might work for your schedule on a regular basis, respectfully, and then your name. That's what I recommend. Recommit to one-on-ones. If you can only pick one thing to recommit to this year or for the first six months of this year, let it be one-on-ones. Good. Okay. Okay. How about challenge number two? Okay. Um, This is a little bit different. Um, It's something that uh, we have some specific recommendations on, uh, but it also has a little bit broader implications, and it's expand your horizons. Um, one of the things we've all learned about management uh, over the, the years, I'm sure, is that there's an inevitable downward creep on the horizon of your timeline, if nothing else. I'm sure everybody's been in the situation I've been in where there's a Sunday where you think you have a pretty good handle on what your priorities are going to be for the coming week. You're fired up about them. And then Monday hits you square in the face. Um, when, when management priorities, Mike, when they get driven by day-to-day, hour-to-hour, crisis-to-crisis task management, um, it's really hard to even dream about the big picture, let about think about it, or let alone think about it or plan for it and so on. I think one of the reasons that we tend to allow our horizon to creep closer and closer to, this, to us is that we don't have anything to do about the big picture. It just tends to stay a dream. It tends to stay in our in our doodlings or our noodlings over the weekend. There's nothing we can actually get started on, a, a task that we can um, check off and say, wow, I'm, I'm actually doing something big picture here. Um, and I think if you do that for a while, if you're a manager with some experience, you've probably even lost the ability to be creative about what might be on your list about big picture strategic or expansive thoughts. Um, yeah, and actually I think some folks have made the mistake by believing that since we don't talk about the strategic a lot that we don't care about it, and that's that's not true at all. And I think um, what you're talking about is our desire uh, in general to take things that are broader and more expansive and make them practical down to their specific. Um, and the way, same thing we do in our coaching and management is the same way you can do things uh, relative to strategy and broadening your thinking. Yes. I, I, and, you know, I, I worry when we start talking about strategic things, although, by the way, this is not one of the, the edgier topics. This is just thinking big picture a little bit. Um, I, I worry that um, people will say, yeah, I'm going to do this, and they'll throw a couple other things in their in their plate, and they'll end up with too full a plate. So I'm not. we're not suggesting you do this and one-on-ones. We're suggesting you pick one of these and work on it for a while and then get it habitualized and then and then at some point consider adding another one but but yes this is part of management we've we've only got 20 or 30 podcasts out there we've got hundreds of topics to cover and then years to come um and this is also part of management management is not just details there are details that you have to do whether the project is big or small big picture or or you know um more in the in the day-to-day realm but the fact is management happens on a day-to-day basis um so we've got some suggestions of things you can do that are big picture, but we slice them up into doable tasks. So here are a couple of things you can do to get started keeping your horizons a little bit broader. The first one is read the book, The World is Flat by Tom Friedman. I happen to think this is the best business book of 2005, and it will also be the best book, business book of 2006, even though it's not going to be published in 2006. I gave it to Kate and Travis, my two college-age kids, for Christmas. And they didn't groan too much, uh, although it's a big book. Um, it is. I really believe this may be the most important business book that's going to be published in the next 10 years. Um, if you are just starting out, this book captures more of the trends that will have more of an impact on your professional life than any other book I've ever read. And I wish I were starting my career right now so I would be able to read about all the things that are going to be affecting me for the next 10 years. Um you know, there's an excerpt from the book that I'll just share very briefly. If you if you go to a McDonald's in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, here in America, and you go through the drive-through, Mike, 
And I've been there, by the way. Yeah, I don't know if you know that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah Cape Girardeau. I, I want to say there's a Procter and Gamble plant there. Um, mm. If you go through a McDonald's drive-through, you will. Uh, if you when you give your order, you are not talking to a person in that McDonald's. There are people who say, well, outsourcing is a terrible thing, and gosh, we you know, we, we don't want to send our jobs elsewhere. But there are some jobs that you just can't send other places. And you might think that working in a fast food restaurant is a job that you couldn't outsource. Wrong. In the book, Friedman talks about how if you go through a drive through there in Cape Girardeau, your order is actually being taken by a call center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And interestingly enough, that, that call center is run by a West Point classmate of Mike and I, Steve Biggery, who's a McDonald's franchisee, a very successful one. Um, and Steve basically discovered that people who do nothing but take orders are much better at people who are rotating through other jobs. And you can save money and save time. The drive-throughs that you go through that use this system are more efficient and produce more profit than the normal way of doing a drive-through. What they do is you actually, when you talk into the microphone, they're taking a picture of you, they're taking your order in Colorado Springs by high-speed data line, and they're forwarding it out back out to the restaurant for the order to be filled, and it comes with a picture of you so they make sure they give the order to the right person. Fascinating. It tells you what digitization and, and data lines and uh, fiber optics have done for communication and how you make assumptions that probably aren't true. Um, and and to, to prove that we're taking up this challenge ourselves, Mike and I, we are actually seriously considering engaging an MBA from India to be a research assistant for manager tools. Um, one, of the, one of the other excerpts of the book, they talk about a company called Brickworks from India, where you can actually hire for, the less, for less than the price of a United States administrative assistant, you can get an MBA from India to do research, to prepare presentations, to do more in-depth more higher level work um, for literally for less price than you would pay an administrative assistant here in the United States. Uh, you'll read about that in the book. Um, so what's going to happen to your job? That's the question. Yes. And, and Friedman talks about the different types of jobs and how you can insulate yourself against that kind of outsourcing or offshoring, depending upon how you look at it. Okay. So there's one thing you can do. Read that book. Um, another idea in this vein of expanding your horizons is to learn a new skill. We don't, want to, we don't want to pick a particular skill. We want you to think about it and pick one that you think will be helpful to your career. Um, and, and we want you to make a plan to pick up one new skill that's not a strength for you this year. Um, don't go to three different conferences and dabble lightly in all three and, and think, boy, these are all interesting things and then do nothing about them. Pick one skill and make a plan for improving it throughout the year. And we have three specific suggestions for you that you can ignore if you like, but there's something to get you started. The first one is learn how to sell. Um, a lot of people, particularly technical people, uh, not only don't know how to sell uh, or understand how their company sells their product, but then they make it worse by poo-pooing the people who do actually sell products, which seems silly to me because if your product doesn't get sold, everybody's salary suddenly is at issue. Um, but here's what you can do. Figure out how to meet somebody in your company that actually sells your corporate product. Spend a day in the field with them. Watch them talk to customers. You might say to yourself, well, gee, I don't know how hard that will be. Well, have you ever called and tried to find out? I bet there's a sales manager who would say, yeah, I'd love for an IT manager or an engineering manager or a product manager to spend a day with my folks to have you realize what it's really like to talk to customers and how customers don't just magically buy our products just because we say they should. Um, Watch these people talk to customers. Ask them how they learned about how to sell, uh, what they'd want you and your team to know about their customers, um, what they'd want you to know about the products. Um, <clears throat> if you want a book, the best book about selling that I have ever read is by a guy named John Rackham, R-A-C-K-H-A-M, and it's called Spin Selling. And Spin stands for Situation, Problem, Implication, Need. One of the reasons I like the book is there's a big pile of data to support spin selling's fundamental principle of um, uh, how to sell. It's a fabulous book. Uh, it's, it's, it's old. It's probably 10 or 15 years old, but it's still exceptionally good. Second thing you can do is learn project management. Um, a lot of people talk about being a project manager and then really don't know what they're doing other than they're managing a bunch of tasks. 
Um, what you can do is talk to the project managers in your firm about how they've learned, what system they use, and what resources exist for free within your company. Usually companies that have project managers have some sort of online resources, but maybe not in yours. Um, and if you really want to turbocharge the, the efforts that you're going to put out in this regard, one of the best professional organizations in the world in terms of management development is, is PMI, the Project Management Institute. They have chapters everywhere. They're active in providing um, resources. Yeah, I think it costs like a hundred bucks um, to join, um, but that keeps out just anybody who's interested in joining a club. It's not a club, and um, I'm sure you can vouch for this in your organization, Mike. PMI certification to be a, pro a certified project manager. It's really highly regarded. It's not. It, it's. Um, it may not be an MBA, but it's not just going to a one-day course. It means that you've yeah, taken your time and really developed yourself. Yeah, it's very highly regarded. Yeah. and But you don't have to get your PMP to learn about project management. There's some there's some uh, learnings on the south side of getting your PMP to that will really help you in your career and help you implement projects. And, you know, by the way, that's what senior executives value is people who can actually go out and uh, make things happen. Yes. It's, it's not always the guys with the ideas or the the ladies with the ideas it's those that can actually implement the idea yeah so learn how to project manage yeah that's why there's such a focus on entrepreneurs a lot of times because they're the ones who actually have ideas and then actually implement the ideas and actually make them stick um, the third thing we recommend is to learn finance uh, Mike knows a great deal about this great deal more about this than I do um, and I actually joke about it when people start talking to me about stuff I say look there are two things I don't know anything about finance and real estate um, but but quite frankly you ought to know how to sell the, you ought to know how your company's products are sold and you ought to know how your company accounts for money um, and, and this is another opportunity to leverage or even better to develop a network in an area where you probably don't have expertise um, the next finance or accounting person you meet in your company, in your organization, stick out your hand, introduce yourself, and tell them, look, you know something I'd really like to know more about. Take them to lunch, find out more about what they do, brainstorm with them about how you could just learn some basics. Um, and then there are a couple of books we can recommend about this as well. One is Finance for Non-Financial Managers, and the other one is How to Read a Financial Report. They both seem very simple probably to you, and yet that, that's a great way to get started. And then, again, developing your, your network and spending some time on a regular basis with somebody who knows something about it, you can probably quiz them and they can make further recommendations. And, yeah. if, and if you and like seminars, uh, one that I've heard spoken of very highly is something called the Lemonade Stand, where it, it's, it's all across the country on a regular basis. And what they do is essentially form you into groups and you have to build a lemonade stand. And they put you through a series of hypothetical situations and you've got to learn by doing about cash flow and capital and resources and so on. Hmm. Is that the same organization that puts out the uh, the book? Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cute book. Matter of fact, I I gave it to my wife to read. Um, she's not an accountant, nor am I, by the way. Yeah. But I gave her that book to read because um, she does uh, a lot of the financials for our Taekwondo school. Uh -huh. So it's very it's very good. I liked it a lot. Good, good. Um, let me just chime in a little bit, which is it. If you don't understand uh, how to look at P&L or how to read a balance sheet or balance statement, um, you, you are severely um, challenged in terms of right, right, you know, rising up through the, the, the corporate ladder. I mean, it's, that's the language at which people talk. When you have a conversation with your CEO, whether you're in IT or engineering or sales or whatever, the language you're talking is financial. Um, so learn it. It, it it's one of those things you cannot get away without if you're going to raise to rise to the top levels in any corporate structure yeah you know it's funny mike i i, I just put two and two together as you sit here talking about executives and um and i realize i say this all the time when people talk to me about becoming a ceo um and we talk about the importance of people and and relationships and so on when you get to the level of CEO, when you get to the C-level jobs, if you get a bunch of those people together, particularly from different companies, I guarantee what they immediately start talking about is numbers. And the numbers, the report cards that they deal with are all financial. And their numbers, their ratios, yep. their, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yes, absolutely. Good. Okay. 
Uh, challenge number three, and this is one that's near and dear to my heart, and the title of it is Go Home. Folks, you spend too darn much time at work, and a lot of it is spectacularly unproductive time. Look, if your family is really number one, your number one priority, why is it that they're never on your calendar? Or rarely on your calendar, unless your spouse or significant other says, okay, don't forget, we have to be at, at school for the church, uh, for the for the school uh, Christmas pageant at, at 5.30 tonight or at 4.30 tonight. And probably the first thing you did was groan and said, well, I've got a really busy day today, hon. Um, and and I, I just find it is shocking to me that people who say at work look my schedule manages me that my schedule is what's most important there is no way that you can say that and then not have your family on your calendar and say well you you can say your family is number one but you're essentially leaving leading a double life and it's not effective um and you know i don't know mike maybe you have a horror story but i sure don't have any horror stories about what happened at work while somebody went to one of their kids soccer games um we keep not I can't you know, think I, of a single instance I, yeah i keep not reading about buildings burning down while indispensable managers go on vacation um and yet gosh i mean the number of people who whine about how busy they are while they're on their own vacation uh just it's just frustrating so um uh, I and, you know I, I think I've said this before on, on our podcast I have videotapes of managers between five and seven in the afternoon and while they think well if you're a manager who thinks well, okay I'll put that off to the end of the day I'll get that done before I go home the fact is you won't get it done before you go home because people sit around and do almost nothing for a couple of hours and entertain visitors at their desk and so on after everybody else has gone home so um, step one is to start now sit down with your spouse or your significant other um, and talk about the days of the week that are best for you to be home at a precise, at a specific time. I mean, tell your spouse, look, family's number one. Let's make sure that I don't let work creep into my family so often that when I say that, you cringe because it's really not true that family is number one. Now, look, to be fair, there's probably at least one day a week where your spouse will say, look, if you want to stay late that night, that's okay. Um, now, you should still have a drop-dead time that you go home at, um, but, but, um, gosh, um, if you don't have a plan, if you don't agree on a plan, somehow every day ends up creeping into being one of the long days and you never go back and ask forgiveness. You never go back and recommit. And so I'm asking you, we're asking you to recommit now. And, uh, step two, put a hard stop on most, uh, on, on most days, put a hard stop on your daily work plan. Um, put your family dinner time or time with your spouse, or time with your son or your daughter, on your calendar at work, in Outlook, or whatever program you use. It's easier to say no to a boss who's scheduling a meeting at 6 o'clock when you look down and say, oh, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to go tonight. I've got a dinner at home. Yeah, you're, you'll probably fall off the wagon during the year when things get busy. Um, my neat little trick for dealing with that is to hit... Um, to use Outlook, and I uh, use a keyboard shortcut, I hit Control-Shift-K, and that opens up a new task, and I entitle the task, How Are You Doing With Family Time? And then I make it a recurring task, and I do it once a month, just to remind me, okay, I've probably slipped a little bit, I set my, my sights high, and I've fallen off in the last week or so, so I'm going to recommit in the first two weeks of February, and I'm going to recommit again in the first two weeks of March. Um, and... and uh, you'll find that you have a much better year and you don't get any less done at work. So, challenge number three, go home. Good. Okay, now, okay. We, now we move to the edgier stuff. And I'm I'm really excited That's, about this. It's not that edgy. Uh, well, okay, well, it's not edgy. But, it, but, you know, I think it's a change, Mike, from our... From our really tactical, down in the weeds, step by step by step kind of stuff, um, it suggests that management is more than just the unsexy, unpretty, boring, repetitive kind of stuff. It, it management is those things, but when you put it all together and you do it well, it can really be something inspiring and um, yeah, and exciting. Well, I, I, yeah, um, edgy or I think of the, these are things that might make you. Um, and I'm encouraging folks to. Do something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Yes, which you know you're on the edge of your seat. You're you're worried about what the results are going to going to be. And boy, there's a lot of uh, beauty that comes out of uh, 
putting yourself in a vulnerable position because yeah. you do these things, you, you will be vulnerable. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. <no>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Embrace it. Okay. So, um, so my first, our challenge number four is um, Mark titled Swing for the Fences. Um, um, what, I, what I mean here is, is go do the impossible. Pick something within your organization or within the company that seems impossible at that point in time. Um, maybe it is, but the sheer act of, of, of picking this you know, big, hairy, audacious goal um, is very empowering. Um, it, my, my example of that is uh, actually has the, the roots of manager tools are in there, which is uh, when I was an IT director back at uh, MCI several years ago, um, I was responsible for, um, amongst other things, I had this big mainframe um, old technology um, application that was responsible for running the entire um, customer database for the consumer business. So at the, at the time, we had like over 20 million customers. And the same thing, did millions of transactions every day, and it could not go down. If it went down, literally 15,000 people were out of work. So um, in the millions of lines of code, it was just a bear. Um, and when I took over the organization, they had over 600 and, I think it was like 627 or something like that, 627 trouble tickets, i.e., there were 627 problems logged by the user community with the application. Um, that, that, that just seems mind-boggling. E- even though I was involved, it seems just unbelievable. Um, well, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of our users thought it was unbelievable, too. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so, among, you know, so we, uh, I won't go into details of how we attacked the problem, but needless to say, we had lots of user meetings and, and prioritization and you, you name it. Right, but right. In any case, the, the, the challenge had, had been, or the way the approach people had taken prior to us choosing this, this goal was that, you know, well, what's a reasonable amount of progress to make against that 637? Could you, in the course of a year, reduce it by 10%? Now, remember, it's been at 600 for, you know, years probably. <laughs> um, so 10% reduction sounds, you know, that sounds meaningful. Yeah. Uh, 20% sounds great. 30% sounds even better. Um, but that's kind of incremental thinking. So, um, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, so I set the goal. Um, I remember... Um, this is probably probably 60 days after taking the organization over. Had a big all-hands meeting um, with the management team, and uh, I set a number of goals. We won't go to all of the, the goals, but there were there are three or four key objectives like this. But this particular one was, the goal was zero by the end of the year. <laughs> to, go from, <laughs> to go from 637 to zero. Um, now, I, I'll, I'll tell you... Um, my management team was not happy with me. They thought it was absolutely unachievable. They they thought I was absolutely nuts, and I had a good relationship with them, so it wasn't it wasn't um, um, a broad a broad problem. In this particular case, they several of them came up to me. My senior managers came up to me and said, "This is uh, we we can't do this." I said, "Well, no, no, you can." And uh, so go tell me how you're going to go do it. So make a long story but, short. But, no, we, dude, um, but, but before before you go any further, though, Mike, I mean th- this is. I've always loved this story. It just—it's it, one of the things that that I, I put in the bucket of why you're a great manager. What went through your head before you said zero? I mean, because look, the, the guy before you, and the probably the guy or person before him, was like, well, ten percent, twenty percent. Let's work at it. We'll see what we can do, and so on. What made you go off half cock like that? Half <laughs> cock. You know, I wanted to. I, I wanted some energy around the problem. I, you know, there's. You, you, I'm sorry, you just can't get excited about ten percent. You don't go home to your your wife or your husband and say, "Hey, we're we're we've got this 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 big goal. We're going to reduce trouble tickets by ten percent." Uh, yeah, there's no excitement. There's no talk around the water water cooler. It's just it's just standard boring day to day stuff. And I wanted a little bit more energy around it. I wanted some excitement. I wanted um, I wanted my moon landing. Um, yeah, and. Uh, incremental goals don't don't get you there. Not in my experience, at least. So, um, and you know, if you said, "Well, six hundred thirty-seven, okay, what if we set a goal of a <clears throat> hundred? Well, now that'd be a huge goal. But I, I don't know. How do you go around? How do you go around saying um, um, and getting excited about? We have a goal of. <clears throat> 
excuse me, um, the the gift of Mark keeps on giving. Yes. Um, <laughs> the um, you can't go around to your your peers and say, "Hey, I'm gonna, we're going to get this thing down from 600 to 100." Wow. No, nobody. That you know, that's like people going around at a at a after a football game and you know holding up two fingers, going, "We're number two. We're, <laughs> nobody wants to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so zero. If if you had 637 and you had some something on the other extreme. I don't care if the goal was 10 or 5 or 3 or 2 or 1. Um, zero was the only thing that was exciting to me. Yeah, and it, it really, I guess in a way, if you forget that you were at 600 to begin with, zero is the only one that's really professionally appropriate from the standpoint that they are travel tickets, and this is a critical, cannot-go-down system. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for reminding yeah. me. You're right. It's it's. It's hard to go to users and say, "Hey, we're gonna, yeah. we're only gonna have ten problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have ten errors in the system." Yeah, uh, yeah, you can't. That's you're right. That's hard. To, it doesn't hard release to do. any energy. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, um, so the fact is, in the end, we failed. Um, I, you know, sorry to report that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of anticlimactic. But now uh, they know you're not such a great manager. Yeah, I know. We, we're not. We're not. Um, we weren't that good. We we got down to seven. <laughs> I love that number. So um, single digits. Seven. And Greg Blanchard, who uh, was um, uh, one of the one of the managers in the organization, who was res- who dr- most directly responsible for this. And to say that there was one person is probably um, he was a production support manager. But of of course, you can't you can't be fixing the problems and then introducing a bunch of problems on the other end. Right. You know, from the development team. So, but he was the one most directly leading the thing up, and uh, he he was actually I think he was actually in some sense um, a little relieved that we only got seven because he had committed to and he had kind of long hair and he had committed to if we got to zero he was going to shave his head off, <laughs> shave, his head, <laughs> shave his hair off. I think he was going to leave his head on, but he was going to shave his hair off. There you go. Um, and if seeing Greg, that's that's and you know Greg, so yeah, it'd be an interesting. Uh, view of Greg without hair, but yeah, he's on our list of people that if we could hire him, we would. Oh yeah, he's he's yeah. he's awesome. Well, I had a bunch of awesome people. Yes, you did. Um, and I'd hire them all. Um, so, so there you go. You know, it's the the whole thing is. Uh, Leo Burnett once said, "Reach for the stars." Yeah, you may not get one, but you won't end up with a handful of mud either. Yeah. And you know, seven problem tickets versus six hundred thirty-seven uh, definitely wasn't mud. And um, I said I said earlier, and this is where the here's the other lesson here, which is I said that the roots of manager tools were here somewhat because um, I had two other objectives of a similar vein that were at the time considered pretty outrageous, um, and the other two we actually achieved. Um, so uh, we had a pretty fast forwarding a year later, we had a very successful year, and. Um, to be honest with you, I don't think uh, the user community, meaning customer service, marketing, sales, right. uh, I don't think they had any better view of the organization than we than they did when we started. Even though we hit all their most important metrics, yeah, they um, didn't. They, they, yeah, they said they were their metrics, but it really didn't work for them. Yeah, it didn't exactly right. They they lied to me. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> at that at that point, that's when I called Mark to come in and help me for the next year and. Uh, that's that's another story in itself, but um, hit all the metrics that your users say they they want. Uh, it, 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 you don't necessarily get what you expect. Yeah. So, all right. So that's number number four. Um, challenge number five. Hey, before my we second go to challenge one. number five, Mike, I just want to go back to something. I think t- to me the thing that really makes number four uh, the the, the uh, swing for the fences so powerful is that if you set a goal from six hundred to five hundred. People tend to use incremental thinking, and, and that the the difference for me is if you if you had been my boss at the time, if I had been Mark Madigan or Mike Morsero or Kathy Stoltz or or, or, or Greg Blanchard and, and had said um, to us, um, "I want you to get to zero. Fundamentally, I, I can't I can't use the same thinking at all that gets me from six hundred to five hundred. I have to say to myself, well. The old man's gone crazy. And then I think, I suspect at some point you said, okay, fine, it's not being done. But if it could be done, what would you have to do differently? Or what would you do to get there rather than to 500? And for me, 
That's what I look for in a leader manager is somebody who helps me see something differently that I didn't have in my in my bucket to begin with. And so I imagine it was that change in thinking, well, we never believed it was possible, but if it were possible, or even if it is impossible, what would we have to fundamentally do differently to even have a shot at zero? And I suspect yeah, that was a yeah. big part of Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. We didn't um the the those big hairy audacious goals they absolutely challenge you. I mean, you can't get there doing the same things you've right. you've been doing. So um Otherwise, you get the same results. So, yes, absolutely. Just doing the same thing faster is not going to get you from six hundred to seven. Yeah, and we and we did a lot. We we implemented new processes. We implemented new quality assurance standards during development. We reorganized um, fundamentally parts of the organization. And so there was all there was a lot to it. But none of that none of that would have happened without setting the goal in the beginning. And that's the whole the whole point. Take you know, it took thirty seconds, frankly, for me to decide that that was the goal. And, but that 30 seconds produced yeah. an incredible amount of value. And, you know, frankly, I didn't have to do a whole lot <laughs> other than set that goal. I mean, yeah, I met and got progress reports and all that. But um, literally that 30 seconds, um, in, in some senses, to be frank, it, it fundamentally uh, moved my career forward within the company. There was a lot of um, a lot of credibility I got as a result of yeah. doing that, right. frankly. In one so, year, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Sorry. Okay, challenge number uh, five. So I, I told told everybody I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. So challenge number five might make you – if challenge number four made you uncomfortable, you're going to pick something and go announce to the world that you're going to do something that's impossible. <laughs> that makes you <clears> – if <throat> that makes you uncomfortable, then this one certainly will, which is uh, my uh, – challenge number five is uh, fire someone. And I, I'm, I'm deadly serious. Go out, find somebody, and fire them. <laughs> you're kidding. I, I'm not kidding. Um, now, okay, so now let's. What does that mean? Can now, if you pick this one, you, you only have two two choices here. You either fire the person. So you're gonna go out. Let's assume you have an organization of seven people, and my guess is that out of seven people, there's one person who's not pulling their weight, is really a drag to the organization, and um, not only not performing to the, their standards, but also dragging the rest of the organization down. With them now, if you're fortunate that you have seven or eight people on your team, and you look at them all, and they're all performing to standard, um, God bless you because you're yeah. you're lucky. Right. Um, but if you're like the vast majority of folks, you you do, and you if you think deeply enough about it, there's somebody that um, you're just you're just lazy or um, scared or uncomfortable with the prospect of firing somebody. It's it's not a it's not something people feel comfortable with, and I've never felt comfortable with it. I've had to do it, but it, it's never easy and it's never fun. Right. Um, but um, so here, so that's why it's one of these these difficult things to do. So pick that person and go fire him. Now, okay, if you don't like the idea of firing, so you can you just kind of envision the process of bringing that person into the conference room and explaining to them why you're firing, and perhaps have to have to um, give them the tissues because they're crying and they tell you about um, family life, family problems and financial problems. and uh, So if you can imagine the, the heartache of, of doing that and how uncomfortable that's going to feel, then, okay, fine. Then your only other choice other than firing them is because, right, because you're, you're responsible for the effectiveness of the organization, is to get them to standard, right? So, okay, I'm going to give you an out, which is coach them, you know, do one-on-ones, do regular feedback, coach them on those areas that they need coached on, and get them to standard. And if you get them to standard, then you get a buy, okay? You get you get credit for, for the firing um, because, in fact, you did fire the old person and you got a new employee who's doing what they're we're supposed to be doing. So, See, I love that. that you uh, know what? Um, you and I hadn't talked about that. That is a brilliant way to put it. If you decide you're going to fire them, essentially what you're saying is, I'm going to get rid of that person and their performance. And if I get rid of their performance... I've got a new person, and I've essentially improved the performance of my team noticeably by raising the floor. Um, so you, in a way, you're right. You have fired somebody, but it's just the old performer as opposed to the new performer you've got. Right. you got somebody with new behaviors, right. and those behaviors are supportive of the objectives of the organization. Yeah. So, um, so now, that's... Why, can I ask you something? Well, why, you've been a manager. You're a very successful manager, obviously, for a long time. Why don't managers do that well why don't managers 
address their poor performers? Uh, they're 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 afraid. They don't like they don't like confrontation. It's 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 um, they haven't learned the feedback model. Yeah, number sure. one. So giving giving feedback um, is tantamount to criticizing or attacking an individual. Um, I think one of the one of the most fundamental strengths of the feedback model and following it, you know, after a week or two, or certainly after thirty days, giving feedback is like breathing. It's it's yeah. it's, it's natural, and it it because you're giving both positive and negative feedback. Giving feedback isn't that earth shattering thing. We got to you got to think about for three days before you know going and telling somebody, hey, look at when you you know come to work thirty minutes late every day and. 60 minutes late occasionally, you know, here's what happens. Um, that discussion just becomes natural. And until then, um, and we as human beings, we're, most of us at least, are adverse to confrontation. Um, so feedback gives folks a, a tool to, to turn feedback um, into something other than confrontation. Um, so it's fear. I mean, it's fear of, of Competition, I think. Simple as that. Something else I was thinking of was we were preparing for this is that not only does firing somebody change your thinking, it's it's kind of the opposite or a different way of thinking about um, swing for the fences um, because it changes your thinking about, okay, what am I willing to do if I had to fire them? Is also, you never know. You may not choose to fire them, but in 18 months or six months or nine months, your organization may say, okay, rank order your folks. You need to get rid of the bottom one or two. And if you haven't done this, if you haven't thought about, okay, if I had to fire somebody, who would I fire and what am I willing to do to save them, then when when the organization says to you, we've got to cut people, you may not have a good leg to stand on with your boss to say, hey, look at my folks. You pick the one that you're going to get rid of. You may be able, if you do this, you may be able to give yourself some defensibility. And there are plenty of other managers around who probably have even more, pardon the phrase, deadwood because they're not willing to face facts and say, I need to have some tough, small conversations now to avoid having a big, tough conversation at some point in the future. Yeah, and and, and having gone through this many, many, many times, unfortunately, um, don't don't fool yourself in terms of the amount of effort required to change the game a little bit. In, in the end, and th- this goes all the way up to the top, people are uncomfortable with firing people. I, you know, and, and if you think that, you know, if you're... Um, you know, an entry level or junior level manager with an organization, and you've been through layoffs. If you think that it's it's all fun and games for the CEO and for the C level execs in the company, I, I, you're not giving them enough credit. Because in fact, everyone I've seen, there is a lot of angst and anguish over um, layoffs. So it's you know the the idea that people are just numbers isn't quite true. On the other hand, because it is so difficult, it does quickly become just a numbers game because that's the way they disassociate themselves from the pain associated with laying off right. 5,000 people. Yep. Um, if you start thinking about it's Joe and it's Mary and it's Sam and it's Bill, that becomes very uncomfortable. So it becomes it becomes a numbers game, and it, not because they don't care, but because they care enough that disassociating um, names and faces is the only way to get through it. As a result of that, then it becomes, you know, we talked about the peanut butter effect on evaluations and the fact that if you're giving out merit raises, the, the worst thing you could possibly do is just give everybody a 3% raise across the board. Right, just spread I'm it around. Yeah, fundamentally, I'm fundamentally against that. Um, but when, when layoffs occur, it, it often becomes the same thing, which is, okay, everybody, it's ridiculous, but everybody redu- you know, reduce your organizations by 5%. Um, unfortunately, not often enough does it occur where the organization looks at what functions are, not, are no longer necessary and just eliminates instead of 5% across the board, eliminates an organization that's either totally ineffective or not um, relevant anymore. Um, and because of that, well, when, and, I'm, and again, I should back up and say that, it's not always the case. It's just right. the case more often than right. I like it to be. Um, so when you're in that, that numbers game, which says lay off 5% of your organization, it is frankly very difficult to go back and make the case that you know your 5% should be kept. Right. Um, so it's a lot of work, but it can be done. Um, and if you're not doing some of the things we're talking about in managed tools, and particularly around this developing somebody, um, your odds of, the, of, of influencing that decision are pretty, pretty low. I, if you are doing everything, your chances still are not 
not it's certainly it's not a sure shot by any 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 uh, stretch of the imagination. But at least you have a, a fighting shot. So if you care about your people, then put yourself in a position if something happens that you have the ammunition to uh, defend them. Otherwise, you know, you, you can say, well, it's, it wasn't my decision. I didn't make the decision to leave. You know, to let five percent go. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe you didn't take. You know, you didn't proactively go do it. But you didn't do those things that good managers do so they can defend their people under the tough times. And so um, you're guilty of inaction. Yes. Um, so don't – don't. <laughs> I would even argue, I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook there. Yeah, I, I would even argue that m- maybe if you're a developer of people and you've been working at it for 12, 18 months or two years or whatever, you may not be able to keep – you know, if they ask you to get rid of two people on your team because of a layoff, because other people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, you may not be able to keep both of them. You may only keep one of your people. But on the other hand, if there are, if the organization gets mashed together and there are several managers going for one job, the manager who does the best with developing people is going to have a leg up on others. Now, it may be that you're the least technically qualified, and there are a lot of the things that go into it. But but if there's a a push to developing people, if there's a push to um, really getting the most out of people because of productivity improvements and so on, which are often talked about after a layoff. Um, if you're the manager who spends time developing people and you can show a noticeable improvement on uh, people in your team, you're going to be given extra credit for that when it when they look at how the organization is going to be restructured, and you may very well end up with more people because of it. It, it may not. It may be because of a layoff, and that's not a great thing. Um, but partially, this is a self-preservation technique, not only for your team, but for yourself as well. You want that yeah, reputation absolutely. of somebody who develops, takes care of their people and develops people and challenges them and is willing to tell somebody, hey, you're not pulling your weight. Managers who are perceived by others as caring, who also can say to somebody, you're not pulling your weight and I expect you to and here's how we're going to fix it. Um, you know, there are very few managers who have that reputation in corporate America, and you will stand out in a positive way immediately if you're one of them. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, also makes it, you know, if, if you're making the tough calls, then it's, you got a lot of credibility when it comes to making the other calls, which is, hey, this person ought to be promoted. Yes. You know, if, if all you're ever talking about is giving people raises, promoting them, uh, moving the higher levels of responsibility, but you've never taken the action of firing somebody or putting somebody on corrective. Um, you know, actions or right. anything along those lines. Well, you, you just don't have credit. You have le- less, less credibility, credibility when it comes to yep. yeah. So good. All right. Okay. Um, so now, now you you fired someone. Now the, the next my 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 last thing. Our challenge number six is um, do a deorg, and and that's Mark's term. My my term is real simple. Give away a part of your organization. If you got a if you got a team of thirty people, give away ten of them to another part of the organization. No. I, are you are you, you serious? No, I love it. I, I just love this idea. When you suggested this one, uh, I, I felt like I was just jumping on the bandwagon by calling it a deorg. So I just think it's absolutely brilliant. It's so countercultural, and I think uh, those kinds of ideas really make people people sit up and think. So I, I love this. Well, one. yeah, you're you're going to shock the heck out of out of people. Most you know, in, in most organizations, power is measured by the number of people you have, the number of responsibilities. Right. The bu- and, and that affects your and, budget. And, sure. And, 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 you know, I'll admit, <laughs> anybody knows me, knows I did this. So I'm not, um, but you know, back in my, my, um, you know, 15 years ago, whatever I spent, I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out how to mass, amass a large organization. Right. And I, and I did, I, I, uh, you know, and I, I think I did it in a good way. And since my my philosophy was, well, achieve results and people will give you more responsibility. Yeah, that's so. that's a little different than just politicking for a part of an organization. If you're achieving results and the organization decides that you're a results person, and so if we give you more, you'll get more results. That's a little different than than the fiefdom building or the empire building that some people engage in. Yeah, well, I wasn't pure as a driven snow. Okay, so okay. I, I, I can go back in, in time and think about, um, you know, at the time I felt completely justified and I felt that there were some uh, organizations that moved over that were good fits. And, and if I go back in time, I'm not absolutely convinced I was right, to be honest with you. So, and, and so later on in my career, I did exactly what I'm talking about here, which is, you know, an organization grows, you amass people, you amass responsibilities. And then at some point you look, you look at your organization and, you know, you go like, well, 
well, do I have, you know, should I have developed, well, here's a classic one if you're an IT person. I had this debate many, many times, and um, we won't decide the, 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 the right answer here, but should I have, you know, should a manager have the development organization and the quality assurance organization? And that's kind of like the, the fox watching the hens type thing. Um, so I, I ended up in, in many situations where I had those kind of conflicts that just didn't make or, sense organizationally. Right. Um, you know, you're trying to, you know, as a development organization, you're trying to crank out as uh, code and, and roll things out as quickly as possible. Um, of course, you're, you're concerned about quality, but you have a different set of, of drivers that are, than are driving a quality assurance organization. And so, you know, a manager who has responsibility for both, well, <laughs> you put yourself in some really awkward positions. Yes. And, and you're probably not as effective as you should be. There's, not, there's a natural tension that happens between parts of an organization. And this is just an example of that. We're a development organization and a quality assurance organization. And as companies evolve, as organizations evolve, sometimes those natural tensions um, are not the, – the, the structure of the organization becomes ineffective. Um, and the, the natural tension is just probably one of those – one of the characteristics we could talk about when organizing. That's a, di- that's a different podcast right. in and of itself. So, so go look at your organization and identify areas where um, there's not a natural fit, where your skills or your organization's skills or capabilities don't um, match the needs of that particular piece of the organization, Identif- and identify somewhere else where it would fit. And go to the other manager, and this will just absolutely blow them away. Say, hey... Um, Susie, I, I've been I've been thinking about this this project management organization. You have a project management organization that manages all these functions. Yet I have my own project management organization. I you know I've been thinking that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I have five hundred people in my organization. <clears throat> I have five hundred people in my organization, um, of which four hundred and fifty of them are developers and quality assurance folks, for example. Um, and then I have this you know fifty person project management organization. Um, you know, they they get short shrift. They don't they don't get coaching because I'm not a project manager. Uh, they don't get you know they don't get guidance every day. They don't get development. I'm sending people to 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 learn how to program in C plus plus. I'm not sending people to project management things. I don't have a a project management uh, professional development plan for the organization. So not only are these people um, not getting developed, they're probably not performing to the levels they should. So. Why don't you take it on? Why don't you take these these folks and teach them how to be effective project managers? And I'll focus on doing what I know how to do, which is develop quality software. Okay, now, now here's where I jump in. I'll be the the devil's advocate here for a minute, Mike, because I can just hear some of our IT uh, users out there say the managers, directors saying. Oh, but God! If I had five hundred people, of course I would want to have a project management organization because those—they're—I'm uh, going to be talking to them a lot. They're going to be the group I least want to get rid of because because they're going to give me visibility into all the things all my organization is doing. Oh yeah, I, I understand, and, and actually, I wish I would have stuck with my quality assurance um, analogy um, better and given away the quality assurance piece. Right, sure, that would have. But 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 what you're saying is sense. you can look at your organization and and decide that other parts could go elsewhere. There's a good reason maybe why they're where they are, but you could also justify them going elsewhere, and you're suggesting pick one, the one that you could most afford to get rid of, and, and literally get rid of it. Yep. Even if there's a good reason why it's here, we can guarantee in the last five to ten years it wasn't where it is now. Right. It's, well, inevitably, there there always is a, a good reason, at least in somebody's mind, as to why the organization is where it is. Um, and... The fact is, you know, if you want, if you want to be, you know, uh, on the edge a little bit, if the if the if there's a tie, whether the organization stays with you or goes somewhere else, the tie the tie goes to the other person, <laughs> the other organization, right? Um, and certainly anything on the side of um, where there's more um, more support for moving the organization outside of yours, then clearly it goes. But you know, if you want to be edgy about it, you know, the tie goes to the other person, right? Yeah, I, and and if and if at the end of this you've given away your entire organization, <laughs> well, okay, that's another story, right? But 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 there's a case to be made that you could get some executives looking at you, going, 
wow, this is a smart person. He can see that really there wasn't a place for that organization. It would have been easy for him to continue to try to build the or build his org, and yet he said, no, I'm going to do the, the right thing rather than the selfish thing. I've got a spot for a guy like that, a guy who's willing to make tough calls and, and willing to go in the face of what we all complain about all the time, which is people building their own little empires. Absolutely. People talk about it all the time. Now, if you do this, if you actually go and do it, you will get a lot of attention. You get a lot of credibility from your peers. Um, but the you know the senior managers, execs in the company will also, um, they'll have, a, absolutely, they'll respond with, and look at, nobody, you know, if you're lacking confidence, you don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if, if you're lacking skills, if you, if you in any way, shape, or form feel like you don't have a future in the company, this is not what you're doing. You're, you're hoarding people. You're hoarding functions, responsibilities. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I made last podcast a, a, a Taekwondo martial arts type of analogy, but this is one of those, one of those things. Sometimes when you're, when you're good, you, you'll give people, um, a punch or a kick or you'll, you'll, you'll create an opening for somebody because you're going to create an opportunity. And this is, this is like one of those things where giving something away is you're going to get more back than you, yeah. you gave away. Yep. Given you shall receive. Yeah. The other thing I like about this is if I had 12, 12 managers, or if I'm a director and I had 12 managers reporting to me and I lost one of them, I now have a little bit more bandwidth for the 11th that are, the 11 that are remaining. Um, you know, the fact is, if you think you can manage 15 people real well, you're going to be better at managing 10. I'm sorry, that's just the case. Unless you're going to suddenly throw away the time you gave to those other five. Um, so I like the narrowing of the scope. It'll let you see deeper into your organization because you won't have to see quite as wide. So, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, Mike. I, I hope that we get a lot of feedback about this cast because we've really touched on a lot of different subjects from the from the prosaic, which is as simple as one on ones, all the way out to firing people and rearranging your organization. Um, I hope that every single person listening picks one of these. Um, not all six, not even two. Pick one, and 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 come up with five or six tasks that you can do right away to move in the right direction. Make them small so you get some early wins in this project, and commit yourself to becoming a better manager this year. And make this a make this project that you pick a, a proxy for developing your management skills throughout the year. Yeah, and and um, you know if, if folks are not subscribed already to the members only podcast, which is just really simple. Just go to the website and register on the site. Um, go ahead and do so because we're going to, over the course of the this coming year, we're going to keep coming back to this list and then delving in a little bit more detail into, you know, maybe how to do some of these things and addressing some of the issues that are going to inevitably come up as you try to execute these things. Wouldn't you, so. wouldn't you love to uh, to uh, have uh, one of our listeners on talking about one of their um, one of their efforts in, in these six challenges? Absolutely. I tell you what, the um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to volunteer some of your time as well. Um, if if we'll take the first person, how about this? We take the first person who sends us a note and says, "Hey, I'm going to pick one." And I, I'd say would on the uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see on the on the more on the more um, difficult. We'll say on the last three, if somebody calls us and tells us, "Hey, they're going to pick." Their person. You're gonna, so if you're going to fire somebody, you're going to have to give us their name. Um, if you're going to do a DORG, you're going to have to tell us, you know, what what part of your organization you're going to DORG. We will coach you personally over the course of this year on achieving that particular objective. Okay. For free. For free. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's exciting. There you go. So, you know, you're, so now you're going to go to tell, tell the person that you're going to fire not only am I going to fire you, but I'm actually going to go get help doing it. Yeah, <laughs> you might not say it exactly that way, but I. But no, no, probably. Um, I, I think it's powerful, and and uh, we, you know, we we care about people becoming better managers. We're willing to put our money where our mouth is. Good, and then okay, so and then then now on your side, if the person who's thinking that they like to take us up on this offer, then your that your your side, you're going to agree to to come on, come on and either you know share the story um either we'll talk about you we can leave your name off that's okay or better yet you'll actually come on the show and share your experiences with us and and help us uh use you as an example of uh what to do because we're going to make sure you do it effectively good that's exciting all right well there you go so um hopefully after listening to this um 
And I know we, this is probably a longer one, but uh, maybe I can edit it down a little bit. Um, hope f- folks will feel compelled and excited about joining the uh, members-only list and uh, kind of following with us uh, over the course of the next year, um, walking through some of these things. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. All right, my friend. We'll see Bye. you. Well, that wraps it up. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. I know it was a long one, but I hope you got some value out of it that uh, you can take with you uh, throughout the remainder of 2006 as we cover this on a subsequent members-only podcast. If you haven't registered, it's easy to do. Just go to the website, www.manager-tools.com. I almost, I almost forgot our own website. Can you it? So www.manager-tools.com, uh, and you can register there. Uh, as always, we appreciate feedback either on the website or on our email address, show at manager-tools.com. Um, with that, uh, thanks again, and we'll see you all again next time. Bye-bye.